previously on Killing Lorenzen. I don't really come to what I really want to get her ass locked up. That's the only thing I want. For the first time, Cheryl Wright walked into a Shelby County courtroom to hear the serious charges she's facing. Now, do you understand what you're charged with in this case, ma'am? I do. I couldn't believe I was sitting in the same room with the person that facilitated the death of my child. I just couldn't fathom, you know, they did everything they could to keep me standing. Jimmy Martin said that he rode to Memphis, Tennessee with Cheryl Wright, where they picked up Billy Turner, and they confessed to him that they had just murdered Lorenzen Wright. I think he knew he'd be given the maximum, that he then offered up this story. And so then in return, he got immunity and did not get the maximum. When the trial come and everybody hear them phone conversation, some of her folks just gonna get up and walk out the damn court because they go, shit we can do. Shara Wright and Billy Ray Turner were set to go to trial September 16th, 2019 for the murder of Lorenzen Wright. Lorenzen was a favorite son, a hometown hero, and people in Memphis and across the country had followed the case for nine years, so they were certainly going to be following the trial. I'm Zanetta Lowe. And I'm April Thompson. This is Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder. This is our 10th and final episode, The Legacy of Lorenzen Wright. It was the trial everyone had been waiting on, one of the biggest in Memphis history. Lorenzen Wright's life and death got national media attention and captivated Memphians. I mean, let's be honest, murder trials become, since The Simpson stuff, murder trials have become something that we do in this. We watch them. We follow them. In this circumstance, it's someone who we feel like we watched grow up and watched play, and so it takes on a much deeper meaning. It has all the sort of interest that draws people to networks that have no murder, murder trial after murder trial, but it also happens to be Lorenzen, who we know and loved, and so I think that's what makes it extra, um, gives it extra meaning in this city. Jeff Calkins is a sports columnist and radio host. He covered Lorenzen during his college and pro days. When the trial starts, um, I think people will be transfixed um, by what happens in that trial. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't get the sense that the, the average Memphian right now is waiting for the start of the trial. But I think when it unfolds, the average Memphian will know every single day who testified, what happened, et cetera, and they will be debating. But when it comes to guilt or innocence, Calkins said he didn't think there had been much debating. I don't doubt that 99% of, of Memphis thinks that she killed him. Well, the Simpson trial was split America, right? There, was, there were people who were rooting for OJ, and then there were people who were rooting for OJ to be convicted. I don't think this is split Memphis. I think everybody in Memphis thinks she's guilty. She's guilty. She's guilty. Monte Nevels became a friend of Lorenzen's while the basketball player was at the University of Memphis. His then-girlfriend and Shara were roommates. Monte now often accompanies Deborah to court. It's evil at its best. It's deceit. It's a different level of evil, guys, here we, we're, we're talking about. I believe not only did she set it up, did she plan it, I believe that she was a trigger puller to make sure that he didn't live to tell it. Many of Lorenzen's family members, like his aunt Zetty Vassar, had long accused his ex-wife Shara of being involved. And finally, with the trial inching closer, 
they began to imagine not just life without Lorenzen, but with his killers locked up for good. Like I told them, I know they got the right person. She know they got know they got the right person. Everybody else that had any sense know they got the right person. Everybody that know him know they got the right person. All the friend guys he know know they got the right person because all of them knew she was crazy too. So, what do you all want to happen? <clears throat> I just want to sit in jail. And the Lord gonna take care. We're not here today to mourn Lorenzen's death, but God, we come together today so that we can celebrate his life. So God, we thank you for his life. We thank you for all the lives that he touched, the children that he produced, and his mother, his family. And our prayer today, God, is that you will continue to heal their hearts. On Sunday, July 21st, 2019, Lorenzen's family, friends, and fans gathered for a candlelight vigil to mark the ninth anniversary of his death. The crowd stood in front of FedEx Forum, where many had watched Lorenzen play as a Memphis Grizzly. They held hands and prayed, many wearing t-shirts with his picture and the words, we will never forget you. You gave us so much to remember. The group left the forum and headed to the banks of the Mississippi River to light and release a lantern and balloons. So they are preparing to release the lantern, putting it together now, family members, Deborah Marion and some of the family members of Lorenzo Wright along the banks of the Mississippi River. This is in remembrance of him. Every year, Deborah Marion held a vigil for her son, but this year was different. Yes, because we got a trial pending. Normally we go home and say, when they going to start? When they going to start? Now we go home September. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We got a date now. A date that at the time, Deborah had no idea would come and go without a trial. Four days after that vigil, it started as a normal morning in the WREG newsroom. Reporters and photographers arriving, getting ready to head out on assignments for the day. But then we got a tip about Shara Wright word she was changing her plea in her ex-husband's murder case. We immediately started scrambling, getting crews to the courthouse. April and I jumped in my car. It is 9.55, actually 9.57 on Thursday, July 25th. What is today? It is the 25th. Yes, it is. Yes, and we are headed to court because we are hearing there's a chance that Shira Wright is going to be changing her plea in this case. We don't have that confirmed right now, but we are in the car headed in that direction. We're good on battery life, aren't we? I'll take one just in case. It must be true. I got a text from Deborah. She said she was at the courthouse, so the tip about Shara was in fact true. Zanetta and I went through security and headed upstairs to the courtroom. That's where we found Deborah and other family members gathered outside. We all gonna find it out together. We're gonna find out together. I'm glad. I'm just glad it's gonna be over. When did they call you, Deborah? Last night. About six. Well, y'all, I just got informed that it's a break after the court. Deborah and her family walked behind a closed door. Zanetta headed inside the courtroom, and I got in position just outside the courtroom door to begin our live coverage. 
Once again, we broke into regularly scheduled programming. Right now we have a breaking news update for you on a story that many have been following and been uh, concerned about for years right here in Memphis and the Mid-South. I'm Alex Coleman. We have a crew at the Criminal Justice Center downtown where we have learned that Shara Wright could be changing her plea. From the very beginning, uh, WREG's April Thompson has been covering this uh, case for us. April, what are you hearing? What's the latest? A lot of people here at court waiting for that word that you just announced, Alex. That is what we are hearing as well. We're here outside Division 7, the courtroom judge, Lee Coffey, where they're expected to hear this coming up in just a few minutes. And apparently some of the family members got a call early this morning that there was a plea deal going on. Just before 11 a.m., Deborah Marion and other family members were escorted inside the courtroom. I was sitting in the jury box, which was full of media, getting video and taking pictures as they walked in. Deborah sat next to her mother on the front row who was wearing a white t-shirt with Lorenzen's picture on it. At one point, they both wiped tears from their eyes. Then, at 10.59 a.m., Shara Wright walked into the courtroom. She had a slight smile on her face. The room silent as Judge Coffey greeted her. Ms. Wright, good morning. Good morning. Ms. Wright is present. Ms. Julie Ganguly and Ms. Lori Hall are present for Ms. Wright. Paul Hagerman, Ms. Austin Schofield are present for the state of Tennessee. This case is currently set for trial on September 16. Ask the court to advance the case today uh, for today's docket, indicating that there's a possibility that a resolution has been reached in lieu of trial. Is that correct, Mr. Hagerman, Mr. Schofield, Ms. Gangulik, and Ms. Hall? Yes, yes sir. Um, Ms. Hagerman, may proceed with the announcement, please, sir. Prosecutor Paul Hagerman got up and walked from behind the table where all the lawyers sit and toward the center of the courtroom. Yes, Your Honor, we're here for a uh, guilty plea in the matter. Um, and I'll, I'll say first, there's a large amount of family and friends. Um, of the victim, Mr. Wright, here, and they're in full uh, support uh, of this guilty plea. This is 1705881, uh, State of Tennessee v. Wright. On count one of the indictment, Shara Wright will enter a plea of guilty uh, to the offense of facilitation to commit murder in the first degree. That is a Class A felony. Uh, Ms. Wright is a uh, Range 1 offender. However, she will plead guilty as a Range 2 offender with regard to the sentence length uh, of 30 years. Uh, she will have the release eligibility of a range one offender uh, at 30 percent. Uh, she'll also be pleading uh, under count three of the indictment. She'll be pleading guilty to facilitation to commit the offense of criminal attempt, murder in the first degree. There it was. Lorenzen's ex-wife and mother of his six children, Cheryl Wright pleaded guilty to facilitation to commit first degree murder and facilitation to commit criminal attempt first-degree murder. In exchange, Sherer would get 30 years in prison, but be eligible for release after nine years. The conspiracy charge was dropped. Hagerman, dressed in a dark suit and tie, held a small stack of papers and read from them. He detailed evidence the state would have presented if the case had gone to trial. People watching on TV saw a split screen with Hagerman on one side and video of Lorenzen on the other. Sometime thereafter, an individual by the name of Jimmy Martin, who identified himself as a co-conspirator of Mr. Turner and uh, Ms. Wright, 
uh, gave a statement to police officers in which he said that he was present for several or two uh, meetings with Ms. Wright and Mr. Billy Turner in which the murder of Lorenzo Wright uh, was planned. He also stated that he helped those individuals uh, clean, clean up some of the crime scene and ultimately traveled with Mr. Billy Turner to dispose of the murder weapon, which was later found uh, in a lake not terribly far uh, from Memphis. Also in his statement to law enforcement, he stated that there was a prior attempt uh, to kill Mr. Lorenzo Wright, and that's why he was in Atlanta, Georgia. He stated that he went to Atlanta, Georgia with Billy Turner, that they entered the home of Mr. Wright, and Mr. Wright wasn't there, that they did so uh, at the direction of Ms. Wright, uh, who had participated in that plot um, as well. Hagerman told the court they'd interviewed other people, including a witness who said she was present when the group discussed the murder, along with others who would testify to incriminating statements or actions Shara took in the days following Lorenzen's disappearance. After Hagerman finished reading, Shara's attorney, Junie Ganguly, asked the court to accept the negotiated plea deal. Then Shara stood up. Ms. Shara, right before, please, ma'am. Stand here. I come to circle right here, Shelly County, Tennessee, and raise your right hand, please, ma'am. Do you solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you've given this cause of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth shall be God? Yes. That's right. Thank you. Now, continue. Now, have a seat right here, please, ma'am. Watch, watch your step, please. Shara, who was dressed in an orange jail-issued shirt and gray pants, sat down in the witness chair. All right, good morning. Good morning. What's your real name? Shara Evette Wright. Ms. Wright, do you understand the rights that you waive and have given up today, ma'am? I do. Ms. Wright, do you have an absolute right to have a trial in your case? Do you understand that? I do. Judge Coffey continued to go over the plea along with Shara's rights, then proceeded to ask a few more questions. You have any complaints about your lawyer, Ms. Wright? They are wonderful. They've been wonderful. Yes, ma'am. Now, listen closely to what she asked him. Do you have any questions? Or anything to say before the judge was entered this right? Uh, no, sir, but I do get credit for the time I've already spent. That's what Yes, ma'am. How long have you been here? It's over two years now. Over Not a year? quite. Uh, Mr. Turner came before I did. Um, so, yes, 22, 21 months. Other than asking about the rights she'd give up as a felon, it was the most Shara said while on the stand. She wanted to know if she'd get credit for the time served. A 30-year sentence with parole eligibility after nine years, minus the year and seven months Shara had already been in jail, means she could get out of prison after roughly seven years. Ms. Wright, Ms. Deborah, Marion. Mary, good As Shara stepped down and walked back to her seat behind the prosecutor's table, Deborah Marion stood up and walked toward a microphone near the back of the courtroom, just in front of the first row she was sitting in and just behind Shara. There's a partition separating these two parts of the courtroom, but the two women were so close they could have probably touched one another. You asked the things that you wanted to say. Yes. And I told you that it was not an appropriate time at that time. Right. But I did tell you at the conclusion of this case, whether it is by a trial or guilty plea or whatever the, this, whatever the conclusion was, I told you to allow you to say anything that you wanted to because you have a right. And with that, Deborah Marion stood at the microphone. Then something happened that would become the pivotal moment of the entire proceeding. Deborah Marion turned toward Shara and began speaking directly to her. Thank you, sir. 
But Cheryl, I want to thank you for giving me my grandchildren. That's what I want to thank you for. But I want you to unlock them so I can visit them, so they can see their grandma. Because Sophia keep calling. She wants to come make chicken and dumplings. She wants to come and just to make chicken and dumplings. I want her to come. And the twins going to be playing basketball near us now, so we want to see them too. We want them to be talking. Let them know we didn't do anything to them. We didn't lie to them or anything. We just love them. We love them. We want to see them. But I want you to call them. No, it's okay to talk to your grandma. Grandma still up. That's all I want my grandkids. That's it. I just, I just hate what happened to my child. But he left nice looking kids here for his grandma. So my, they won't see me like I want to see them. And I'm ready for them to come back to home with their family. That's I miss them. And in a stunning moment, Shara, who'd been looking at Deborah the entire time she spoke, asked the judge if she could respond. Am I able to respond to her? Mr. Gangler, you want your client to say anything at this point, sir? No, Ms. Ms. Wright has nothing to say at this time. Judge Coffey addressed Deborah one more time, and just like that, a resolution to a murder case nine years in the making was over in less than an hour. And I know what has happened to you and your family, your son, can never be undone by anything that these courts do. But I hope it brings you some closure. Of course, there's a recess. We all rushed outside the courtroom to talk with Deborah and other family members and the attorneys. Keep in mind, this was all still playing out on live television. There you have it. An absolutely stunning moment in court that many people had not anticipated happening. I had to think of my grandchildren. Because if I hadn't followed my grandkids, I would have went way left. So I had to keep thinking of them. As long as I could think of them, I could stay up and positive. But if I had got off of them, we probably still be in there. Go out here to the one lockdown. Deborah, it's what? Sunday will be yes. nine years. Yes. Since they totally. found since yes. they found your baby. Yes, indeed. When did you get the call? And give me your saying, are you serious? He's, I'm not joking to you. Just be down there in the morning. Just cough want you to at eight thirty. I said, okay. What's going on? Then he would explain it to me. I'm like, really? Yeah, just sit down. Oh, I'm sitting by this time, I'm sitting. And he just explained how it goes because I wanted certain things and he wanted to know if this is this okay for you. Fine, as long as you're not out doing something to somebody else, fine. Deborah then responded to whether she thought Shara's sentence was sufficient. Yes, because family can always go to the parole hearings so we can do what we can do legally. What made you look directly at her? So I, so I know her. And when you look at her, I just say I know her. She felt me. She felt me. Then she saw this. She felt me. Because she wanted to respond. Sure did. That's why I know she felt me. That's it, y'all. I got to go now. Deborah politely walked away. The mother who'd fought so fiercely to bring her son's killers to justice and was often the lone and loud voice of the case didn't have anything else to say on that day. The family and friends surrounding Deborah then began speaking to the media, including her pastor, Lawrence Plummer, and her uncle, Lorenzo Cersei who got emotional after we asked him the first question. What's the family feeling right now? Right now, the family feels relieved. You got to forgive me. I wanted my niece to get closure to something she's been, we've talked nine years, she and I, I lost a son about the same time she did, mine to cancer. I couldn't feel her pain. No one can feel the pain of a person that has lost a child because you're supposed, your, 
you, your child is supposed to bury you, not you bury your child. But I felt her pain. I've seen her anguish as far as that goes. I've seen her wanting to know, uh, trying to get to the end of this process to where she could start closing. Now that it is at the end, she can finally start to forgive, never forget. You never forget your child. But she can start now trying to rebuild her life and forgive her. She's a very faithful usher at the church and um, there's been times where she has ushered and literally stood at the door weeping um, over this. So this is a, I, I believe this is the beginning of her healing process for sure. The beginning of a healing process for the family, a family that would also have to deal with the prospect of Shira getting out of prison in roughly the same amount of time the case sat cold. It's one of the many questions Hagerman answered on live TV. Was this plea deal the equivalent of justice? Tennessee law is what it is. Had she been convicted of the offense that she pled guilty to, uh, the most she could have received was 25 years. Uh, so she's receiving more than the 25 years. Uh, the fact that this charge uh, has parole eligibility, uh, what that means is there'll be parole hearings. Doesn't mean that they'll be granted. And did she specifically explain her role? I, I, cannot, I actually cannot comment on uh, things that may impact or may become relevant or something at the co-defendant's trial, which is only two months away. While Zanetta spoke with Hagerman in one area, I talked with the defense attorneys who'd also made their way outside the courtroom. There were several offers and counter offers that went back and forth but in the end this is what we arrived at she'll serve what nine to 15 more years minus jail credit so she will see freedom and maybe in her 50s but listen closely to what shara's attorney said next it wasn't just the normal our client wants to move on with her life kind of talk you typically get from defense attorneys Judy Ganguly and Lori Hall dropped a bombshell. Some serious allegations about Lorenzen Wright. They said they would have presented in court if the case had gone to trial. Mr. Wright had beaten her for years. And the beatings were consistent. And it led to her face being disfigured. It was a situation where, you know, again, she had nerve damage you know, on one side of her face. She, uh, you know, he had, and the children can verify this, he had proposed to her again, wanted to marry her. Um, and she felt like she couldn't get away. And she knew that, you know, she, she was in a bad position. These are the father of my children, you know, and I can't get away from them. Reed interviewed Ganguly and Hall for the podcast and spoke to them several times after court hearings. But this was the first time we'd heard these claims that would have been the focal point of their defense. The more we met with her and talked to her, the more information she told us about, you know, their marriage and what happened after their separation. And so um, it was over time that this, you know, we put pieces together and discussed and believed that this would be our likely defense. So had you gone to trial, you were go your defense was not going to be that she did not shoot him, but that she shot him and killed him because he, she was beaten by him. We didn't say she shot and killed him. Right. We expected Billy Turner to testify against Shara. And if 
you had Jimmy Martin and Billy both testifying against Shara, then the defense that I had nothing to do with it wouldn't really be viable. And so the defense became, and I, we strongly believed in it because we had witnesses that would have supported it, is that Mr. Wright beat her again and again and again. So you contend that she did not do the shooting, but she was a part of the planning. Right. That's right. With that, we wrapped up our live coverage, which lasted for roughly two hours straight. WREG's April Thompson has been there from the very beginning. April, how do you sum this entire morning up? Well, um, I guess, it, like you said earlier, it is closure um, for Lorenzo Wright's family in that they got justice. They have, they have seen the people who were responsible for his death um, have to pay for it. Our Team 3 coverage continues now with WREG's Sonetta Lowe. Sonetta. Well, Alex, some may have considered this a bombshell. Others said they had been waiting on it. Maybe this wasn't going to go to trial after all. But just to put this into perspective for you, for those of us that have been following along for many years, and I know so many in, in the Memphis community have to understand what this means, we talked today a lot about Shara Wright. We've talked about her co-defendant, Billy Ray Turner. But Deborah Marion has always wanted to make sure that Lorenzen Wright remained the focus of this. I once again reached out to Shira's brother, Julius Robinson, after her plea to see if we could get her side of the family to speak. His brief response via Facebook message let us know Shira's plea deal was a shock to him, too. Quote, like most of Memphis, I had no idea she was going to enter a plea. I was surprised to hear slash see this, end quote. Meanwhile, more of Lorenzen's friends were reacting to the plea deal, like Pastor Bill Atkins, who took to Facebook to express his disdain for how it all played out. Here's some audio from a story we aired. Those of us who have known Lorenzen uh, for so many years were quite uh, uh, disappointed. Pastor Bill Atkins was a neighbor, mentor, and fraternity brother of Lorenzen Wright, so the herd still runs deep. I, I want to, to make sure that uh, he is remembered in, in a good sense and not through the horrific uh, uh, death that he suffered. Adding insult to injury, the pastor was livid to hear accusations of abuse. No one has ever heard that or seen evidence of that. She had suffered from uh, what I understood was ball palsy and uh, some other things that may have happened uh, to her. Remember, we asked Deborah about claims of abuse in a previous episode when we discussed what Shara wrote in her fictional book. Was there ever any violence in their relationship? Because I think she said in the book. She, yeah, she alluded to that in the book. She claimed he hit her. Light as her ass is, if he had hit her, who would have seen the bruise? Everybody that was looking. Light as she was, think about it. Big as this man was, where your bruises? Call the police and show them your black eye. Show them your bruises. You know, call the police, get them locked up. On July 28th, 2019, Three days after Shara's plea deal and on the ninth anniversary of Lorenzen's body being found, the family came together. Lorenzen Wright's family gathered at his gravesite today to both pay their respects but also celebrate that for the first time since he was murdered, someone responsible is in prison. But because of the conditions to her plea deal, Wright could be eligible for parole after serving just nine years of her 30-year sentence, a fact that enrages Lorenzen's family. Uh, life. 50 would be good for me, actually. 50, I would have been better with 50. Because I know she would have been approaching the age she couldn't kill nobody else. Another topic that will set the Wright family off, allegations of abuse from Shara's defense team. 
They're adamant that Lorenzen was not an abuser, and markings on his ex-wife's face can be explained. You know, here's where a lot of people, somebody would have seen a bruise or something, more, and they said that her face is like that because he beat her face. Like, Belle palsy. Tell Googly Anna to go to the doctor and find out she got Belle's palsy. That's why her face is twisted. Shortly after her plea, Cheryl Wright was transferred to the Tennessee Prison for Women in Nashville. Shara's new mugshot shows her with short curly hair, wearing a blue prison-issued shirt, and holding a placard with her inmate number, 610-305. We've put in a request to interview Shara in prison, and we're waiting to hear back. With Shara now serving her sentence, the focus shifted to her co-defendant, Billy Ray Turner, who was still set for trial on September 16th, but that too wouldn't play out as planned. Billy Ray Turner appearing in court for just minutes today, long enough for the judge to postpone his scheduled September 16th murder trial as his attorney now reviews new information. Lorenzen Wright's mother, who has been waiting nine years for justice, says no matter what, she was going to be in court today. I don't care if you walk in the courtroom and sneeze, I want to be there to watch him sneeze. Prosecutors said they just discovered new evidence which had to be turned over to Turner's attorney, John Perry. Prosecutor Paul Hagerman says his office discovered the information in the last two weeks. The state's under a continuing obligation if they get information in the case to turn it over to defense attorneys and uh, that's what we did. I take uh, Paul at his word it was an oversight that it wasn't turned over. Perry wouldn't say exactly what this new evidence was but said it was a lot and it would take a while to review. A banker box and several accordion files. The materials are uh, different records from other people that were uh, named in the case that we had asked for, uh, things along those lines. When we interviewed Perry for the podcast, he was still going through the newly discovered material. His client's story, he says, hasn't changed. Did your client have anything to do with the murder of Lorenzen Wright? Uh, no. Nothing? No. But he's sitting in jail right now, indicted, Nothing to do with it? No, nothing. What's his connection to the case? Uh, he's accused by a convicted murderer for the, the things that we're talking about. The convicted murderer Perry is referring to is Shara's cousin, Jimmy Martin. We told you before he's in prison, doing 20 years for killing his girlfriend. He's the one who led police to the murder weapon and said Shara and Billy killed Lorenzen. He gave police and prosecutors other details and explained his role, but was never indicted. In fact, Perry says Shara herself never fingered Billy as the killer, just Jimmy. Why would he throw away a life that's pretty good? He's got a nice family, he's got a you know, decent business, he's got uh, a decent career. Why would he do that in this? And so I'm innocent until proven guilty. Perry also disputes the theory that Turner was lured into the plot by Shara. Shara Wright or, or whoever it was, it's this glamorous former housewife or what have you, she just hypnotized him into wanting to do some horrible thing and, and he took away a pillar of the community. And well, what happened after the pillar of that community was taken? What was he doing after that? Was he, you know, robbing and killing or no? Well, did he uh, ride off into the sunset with the uh, former glamorous housewife? No, no. Well, what was he doing during that time afterwards? Oh, he went back to cutting yards, riding his same pickup truck, uh, doing the same thing that he had been doing prior to this interruption in his life and now he has to stand trial for murder. Why? 
because somebody told law enforcement that he killed him, he threw the gun in the lake, and he is the person that, based off of that, that we believe that did that. Well, who was the person that said that? Well, he's on uh, serving a 20-some-odd-year sentence for killing his girlfriend, and he's first cousins with the person who uh, is that glamorous housewife. Perry isn't the only one pointing the finger at Jimmy Martin. Felicia Bowens and Tame Bowens-Reed, the sisters of the woman he killed, have a strong opinion about the case. And for him to sit up there and say that he didn't participate, he's lying. I know he had. I know he did. Because he thought he got away with murder once. And he felt like he was going to get away with it again. If they had locked him up when at first, when our sister first was killed, Lorenzo probably, probably would still, still been alive. living. That's how we feel. That's how we feel. If they had got yeah. Jay off that street, yeah. when it first happened, when Martha was first killed, they could have prevented another mur murder. Martin appealed his case in 2013 and lost. He filed a post-conviction appeal and had a court date set for November 13th, but it was rescheduled for January of 2020. Meanwhile, Judge Coffey is closer to setting a trial date for Billy Ray Turner. Uh, the lawyers have also indicated that they believe this will be the last report date that will be necessary on your case. And if this case cannot be resolved on December 4th, Mr. Turner, I anticipate that we'll get a trial setting for you on that day, sir. So by December, we either get a 2020 trial date or a plea from Turner. It depends on what a plea would be to and, you know, and things like that. And I wouldn't want to do anything to uh, hamstring any negotiation efforts one way or the other. But uh, the big thing is having something to do with homicide as it relates to uh, Mr. Wright. My client uh, adamantly maintains that he had nothing to do with that. After the hearing, we once again asked Hagerman about Shara's plea and the fact that the family says justice hasn't been served. They were planning a march and rally for November 2nd, two days before what would have been Lorenzen's 44th birthday. What can you say about still they have some concerns about how everything was handled? Uh, I have you know, a good relationship with family. We've been working with them for uh, years now. Uh, this whole thing, you're talking about a case that was a cold case for years and years and years. Uh, they had to struggle with that uncertainty and they had to struggle with uh, all sorts of things. So for you to tell me that uh, this is hard for them, for you to tell me that they don't have all the answers and all the closure and everything that they need, you know, of course they don't. They gathered Saturday for a vigil at his grave site, then marched more than four miles. Get up, stand up, get up, stand up, stand up for it right calling for justice in a case that has seen every twist and turn imaginable. Whoever was involved, I want to see everybody, you know, they need to pay for what they did. He didn't deserve that. Okay, so we have several kids out here holding signs. Um, one of the signs says, two shooters still on the run. That ain't justice. Justice for Lorenzen Wright. How do you think they handled the investigation? Uh, the first set of police went too fast. They didn't, mm, they weren't particular shit. They just went too fast because the one that actually did it said in the first two folders that they had to really pay attention. They could have done with the first two folders. There were three different police directors over the span of Lorenzen's case. The second was Tony Armstrong, who said they did what they could at the time. You know, obviously now, you know, with hindsight, you can look and say it would have been good if we had known this, and if we had known this, we could have done this or whatever. 
but there were just so many unknowns for us um, to, for me to look at now and say, you know, we probably made a mistake here or there. And I'm not saying that there wasn't mistakes made, and I'm not saying that there probably wasn't things that could have been done differently. But I guess the only point that I'm trying to make is from the information that we had and from the evidence that we was looking at at that time, I can honestly tell you that we literally threw the kitchen sink at this investigation. An investigation that led to two arrests and so far one plea deal. But the whole story and truth about who killed Lorenzen Wright on that July night in 2010, Armstrong says it's an answer we may never get. Will we ever really find out what happened that night in that field? No. No. In my opinion, I don't think so. The burning questions of what exactly happened the night Lorenzen Wright was killed and who was there to witness it still remain unanswered. His family still wants closure. And his mother is still adamant about making sure Lorenzen's life is never forgotten. I keep telling people I am not playing. This was my firstborn child. And I loved him dearly to death. It's why Deborah couldn't miss a celebrity event at the home of former NBA player and now Tigers coach Penny Hardaway in honor of Lorenzen Wright. And we're doing it for Ren. Everybody come together tonight for Lorenzen Wright right here. I want to say thank you. That's all I want to shake everybody's hand and say thank you, thank you. You know, y'all still thinking about my child. Thank you, thank you. Because I don't never want them to forget him. I'm going to do something every year in his name. Until the day I die. Because my baby will never be back. So, honey, to the day I die. On a warm September evening in Memphis, in the front yard of Penny Hardaway's estate, they gathered for the first basketball legends weekend with an added twist, Rendezvous for Wren, a fundraiser for Lorenzen Wright's family and children. Penny told us about the purpose. We don't want to forget his legacy and who he was to us as a brother, uh, as someone that did for the community, uh, that I always gave back to this community, and we definitely don't want people to ever forget about him. So I think it's so important for us to get this started now and just keep it going. The winding driveway that leads up to Hardaway's home was decorated to resemble a red carpet affair. Guests were able to stop and get photos snapped, similar to an awards show. Tonight we're doing it for my man, Lorenzo Wright. Rest in peace. We love you. Tents lined the front yard where guests sat and listened to a live band. While on the front steps of the palatial home, a DJ played music. Athletes mingled in the front yard. Former Memphis Grizzlies basketball star Zach Randolph was among them. Zebo knew Lorenzen. Just a good guy, you know, always was a nice guy, always had a smile on his face. Just always uh, give you a shirt off his back, always help people out and look out for people. So it's one of them good guys. He was a real good person, been a hometown guy growing up here. And, and like you say, he gave back to the city, you know, the, the, the city loved him, the fans. And it just it just says a lot, you know, about his person and things that's going on now to, today and still in his name. That was Penny Dorn. It's going to keep it going. And, uh, keep it going on for him. Lorenzen's friend and former AAU coach Travis King helped pull together the Rendezvous for Wren event, which also included a full weekend of activities around sports entertainment and youth sports. This is going to be an annual event. We were trying to bring all the best basketball players that have played in Memphis over the past 50, 60 years together, get them congregated like a family reunion. What better place to have? Uh, a remembrance of Lorenzen uh, and bring all of his family together, bring everybody uh, considering the situation together and, uh, you know, glorify his name and enjoy a little time together. Brian Parker played summer AAU basketball with Lorenzen and became an instant friend. He had a very contagious smile. 
he was always in a good mood. He was always very optimistic. Uh, he had an incredible work ethic, which his father instilled in him at a young age. And just one of those personalities that's just so infectious that just everybody wanted to be around him and gravitate towards him. He remembers when teenage Lorenzen first started getting attention as they were on the road traveling to basketball games. There's a lot of hiding out in hotel rooms because Lorenzen was starting to blossom into one of the top rated players. So you had coaches crawling all over the hotels trying to track him down for meetings. Uh, so we spent a lot of time behind closed doors just watching movies and watching basketball on TV. He uh, just loved the city of Memphis and brought a smile to everybody's face who he ever came across. And, uh, he, he was one of a kind, and I think it's great the way his memory is being kept alive in this city. Lorenzen Wright's family on Deborah's side were in full force at Rendezvous for Wren. Deborah's other children, her uncle and Zeddy, her sister from Atlanta, all showed up. Because it's all about my nephew. And we done, we done finally got the case closed, kind of, sort of. And I had to come celebrate. It's a celebration. Celebration, y'all. Y'all know I'm celebrating. I've been celebrating. I ain't gonna be through celebrating. Deborah says it was comforting after Shara tried to connect her son with drugs and domestic abuse. It's saved that my baby was good. People still supporting him. Even though she throwed all that garbage on him, they washed it right on off and put it back on the map. Yes, they, they see my son was not what she made him out to be. That's what I'm glad about. This means everything to me. Now people will realize he was who he was, not what she said. You know, this is a clarification for me. This is like, Lorenzo, we gonna do something for you cause you ain't did nothing. You know, she did all the stuff that was getting done. So he ain't did nothing but that. You know, he wasn't ready, 34. He didn't say he wasn't ready, but he ain't gotta tell me we had things to do. Also at Rendezvous for Wren was Lorenzen's oldest son, Lorenzen Jr., known as Snoop, who has not talked publicly about what happened to his mom and dad. The last time we saw him was when he showed up at one of Shera's hearings. When Shera walked into the courtroom and saw him, she broke out in a smile. But outside court that day, Lorenzen Jr. dodged the cameras. You got any comments about what's going on with your mom? No, I don't. He just missed his dad right now, but he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. So when we saw Lorenzen Jr. at rendezvous for Wren, we again asked him for an interview. He eventually told us, yes, he would talk. But his aunt, Shira's sister, Tennessee State Senator Katrina Robinson, quickly intervened and said he would not be speaking with us for this podcast. This is a good time to tell you we had been contacting Robinson for months to try and get comments about her sister Shira, not just Shira's life with Lorenzen, but who she was before that and anything she or other family members would like us to know. None of them would agree to talk to us. And that night at Penny's estate, Katrina Robinson made sure Shira's son didn't either. The senator said she had listened to the early episodes of Killing Lorenzen, and she was not happy with what she heard. In fact, she called the podcast trash and said none of her family would be a part of it, especially Lorenzen and Shira's children. But Rendezvous for Wren was in part for Lorenzen's children, raising funds for their education. We want to be able to help the family. Uh, you know, in, in times of um, in times like these, a lot of times people are around for a year or two, then all of a sudden their support leaves. So for us, even though it's taken a while for us to get to this point, we're here to stay. Deborah Marion says she will be here every time to keep Lorenzen's memory alive. And she is not giving up her push to get custody of Lorenzen's minor kids, who still live in California with Shara's brother. I'm trying to get my last two grandkids. 
and and it's gonna take money to get them. You know, I gotta get a lawyer, California lawyer. I got the lawyer here, but I still gonna have to get one, you know, in California. But those kids need to be brought where they want their dad want them to be, with their family. They don't know their uncle. That's just their uncle. Deborah says she has been pretty much estranged from all of Lorenzen's children since his death. In fact, at Rendezvous for Wren, she and Lorenzen Jr. barely spoke. What's it been like for you, though, as a grandmother, knowing how important Lorenz's kids were to him, knowing how important family was? What's it been like for you not having that relationship? It, it was really, really bad, but it's, it's getting better because I cannot die waiting and wishing for some grandkids that, that I don't have no control over. You would think Cheryl being stupid, she would tell her kids, you know your dad did, so you need to be getting with your grandmama or your granddad, somebody, you know, on your dad's side, because I'm finna disappear right before y'all very eyes. She too stupid for that. Do you worry about that, them not having anyone? Mm -hmm. Sure do. I. And then here I am standing here with open arms. Do you think there'll ever be a reunion between you all? I don't know. In April, I tell you, I'm serious. I'm not going to keep worrying myself about it. Their mom behind bars, their dad murdered. It's the kids plenty of people are worried about now. Here's how their great-grandmother, Louise Vassar, sees it. They're going to have to go to prison to see her. You know, that's something to think about. Yeah, that's something you think about. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's something to think about. But I've said, like, may God have mercy upon her, so cry for yourself with it, children. Lorenzen's former principal, Elsie Bailey, says it's sad for what the children will miss and also what Lorenzen never got to see. And another tragedy is that he didn't get a chance to um, see his children mature into what they could be. Uh, that's another a big tra uh, tragedy for me. Um, and then he didn't get a chance to show what he could contribute outside of sports, you know, uh, to his community outside, whatever community he chose to live in. He didn't get an opportunity to uh, mature until that father and grandfather and guiding his children and making an impact on his community in some other capacity. I guess that's what I think about all the time because we only young for so long and then we have other contributions to make to our children, our grandchildren, and he didn't get an opportunity to do that to his, and to his family, other things that he probably could have done. And many have speculated on what Lorenzo would now be doing if he had lived. Oh man, he would be giving back to the community for sure. I mean, he was a guy that loved the kids. I'm sure he would have been trying to help me at the university. It would have been somebody that would have been a huge part of that but just giving his time and his money back to, to the kids in the, in, the, in the community. Lorenzen's high school coach, Fred Horton, and former teammate Antonio Harris agree. What do you think Lorenzen would be doing now had he lived? I think he will be working in the community, might become a teacher, might become a coach, might be working in some recreational facility, might be working with the kids in the AEU circuit. I think he'd be around that type of environment, giving back to the community, you know, by helping kids. 
if he were here now, how do you think he'd be spending his time? What would he be doing? I think he'd probably be doing what his dad did with him, probably training his boys. I can pretty much see that because he was a family man. He loved them kids. And uh, I just know that he'll be with them at all the games. Like you see all the, uh, the ex-NBA, they, they travel around with their kids and they follow their kids to kind of make sure no unwanted outside people are trying to get in their ear trying to recruit them. Cedric Henderson played college basketball with Lorenzen at the University of Memphis. Henderson now coaches at Southwest Tennessee Community College, and he uses Lorenzen's life as an example to show upcoming young athletes what is possible. I tell people all the time, this is a guy who, you know, you wouldn't look at as an all-star, but you knew he, he was going to have a 10- to 12-year career because he did everything right. He played hard. He kept his state in shape. He was good in his community. He did all the things that were necessary to do to be a professional ball player. Even at Booker T. Washington High School, where Lorenzen played and graduated, there are reminders of his presence, including his jersey, awards, and tons of pictures. BTW basketball coach Antonio Harris says he's still setting an example and lesson for a new wave of students. They walk through and they, they always hear me telling stories about him, how good he was and how he made himself into the, the player that he eventually became. Uh, I just really try to tell them that they have to be careful of the company that they keep. And uh, I don't care what level you're on, whether it's the high school level or professional level, you still have to be very cognizant of people and uh, just try to pick the right people to be around. I know it's kind of hard because you don't know who is being genuine <laughs> who's not being genuine. So you just have to make sure that you keep your eyes open and keep people around you that you truly trust without the shadow of a doubt. Something Lorenzen's family thinks about every day. His cousin Trevino says sometimes he feels his presence. It's one of those you you get over, you won't get over, but he will me. I talk to him every day. Him, my granddad, I talk to him every day. And plus I got a tattoo, he can never leave because I got his thing tattooed on my chest. I got his number and I got his name tattooed on my chest, whatever. So it was like one of those like, nah, I never leave. I always have his back. If I'm running, I can hear him in my mind, gee, you bet not quit. You bet not quit on me. And I'm, I'm 38 and I still run to this day. I can hear him in my head, gee, you better not quit. You gonna quit on me? And I say sometimes, yeah, I'm quitting, I'm tired today, bro. He was like, then I end up doing it anyway. Cause he be like, if I hear him, I like, man, you really gonna do me like this? And I stop, I turn back around, I go on to finish up. So it's like one of those things that stuck in my head, that I hear him in my head. Louise Vassar feels the connection too. She is the grandmother who helped raise Lorenzen. And you hear that red bird out there? Every time I hear red bird, I say, hello, Gunny. Every time a red bird come out there and start singing, this gun is visiting me. And I go out there so I could kiss at that red bird. Yeah, I kiss at that red bird. And I tell Granny, I'll see you soon. In the sports world, where new players come and go, sports columnist Jeff Calkins and former WREG sports director Glenn Carver say Lorenzen Wright left a legacy. I can picture him in front of his locker 
um, joking and talking. Like, he was, he was so alive when he was alive that it's... And then to have that cut short, I think, um, is what grips people. Um, it seems... Un- and then... Um, and then the villainous way that it may have ended, I think, is also part of the story as well. Because um, he wasn't hit by a car. You know, he didn't have a heart attack. He, uh, he was murdered. And it may have been by someone who was supposed to love him, or at the very least, um, you know, loved the children that they shared together. Lorenzen was loved as a, as a high school player. He was loved as a Memphis Tiger player. And then he was loved as a Memphis Grizzly. And there's, there's, not, you know, there's not many who fit that mold. But the legacy will be, I would like to think, that he was just such a joyful person. He just, you know, human sunshine. And he played hard. He never mailed it in, ever. That hard worker, joyful, giving, that's, that's I think, Lorenzen will be remembered. I would hope so. It's an unfortunate story, but it draws people in. And the good part about that is that when you are telling that story and you're delving into what happened and the background and maybe the family, uh, all that, you still have to include all the positives about Lorenzen's life and his career. And you have to tell the story of that uh, joyful smile, that, that kid-like quality that he always had. So people get to see that again. And perhaps for his parents, memories like no other. Herb Wright shaped his son into the NBA player he became. But that's not all he's proud of. Most of the people that I met while he was playing, they would come to me. And, and the thing that I liked about it was it wasn't so much of how good of a basketball player he was, it was how good of a person he was. And you know, that that made me proud. Because, you know, it meant he was raised in the right way. And a relentless mother who has almost been the single-handed force keeping Lorenzen Wright's memory alive and getting his killers arrested is just as passionate about his legacy. Deborah Marion says she and her son were close, had a special connection, and it's what he would have wanted. Do you still feel, see, hear Lorenzen's voice? Oh, yes, honey. What is he saying to you through all of this? Thank you. Sometimes I get a shoulder hook. It'd be like, like it go through my body. I know that's him. He said, thank you. Cause sometimes when I used to leave that cemetery, he'd be like, "Ma," like calling me back with his head up, not laying out. Ma, you know they still ain't got a ma. And every time I leave that cemetery and her ass one locked up, he'd be like, "Ma," I, I would hear plain as day. Sometimes I walk away just doing my head like this, so wind can blow up my ears as I'm leaving the cemetery. Yep, he content now. He's resting finally after all this time. My man, Amen. Amen. That's right. Yes, Lord. WREG will continue to follow Deborah Marion's efforts and the Lorenzen Wright case. We will be there if and when Billy Turner goes to trial for murder and when Cheryl Wright goes before parole board to get out of prison early. We will follow those developments too. This podcast has been our attempt to dig deeper and peel back the layers of a story of triumph and tragedy the story of killing Lorenzen. 
Love, Basketball, Murder. Killing Lorenzo, Love, Basketball, Murder is a production of WREG-TV in Memphis. It is reported and hosted by us, Zanetta Lowe and April Thompson. Our editor is Josh Strong. Original music, Lorenzen's theme by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of web and social. Eric Lifford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Arnhem, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate, and share it. Thank you for listening.